Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. My name is Marilyn Shannon, and this is the Breaking Free Show. And thank you so much for being here today and enjoying the show with us. We're happy to have you. And as always, it's a delight and it's an honor. And I know that your time is precious. So it is, I feel like I have an obligation always to bring you the best of what I see and what I think is so valuable and pertinent to our lives. And today's show is one that I've been so excited about since last week, actually, when I found out that this was actually going to happen. So we're going to introduce my guest to you in just a second. But before we do that, I want to say hi to Annan. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And you look marvelous. I do. <laughs> oh, isn't that nice to come and hear that? Oh, thank you. You I appreciate it. And you look marvelous, too. Thank you. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago... You know, I was on Facebook, and I came across this story about Rosemary Kennedy, JFK's sister. And I was fascinated by what I read, and I came home that night and read it to everybody at the dinner table, and I was in awe of the story. So I asked Chris, who works with me, to see if she could track down uh, the author and see if she would be willing to come on our show. And guess what she said? Yes, she was. And I was like, oh, my God, Kate's coming. So let me introduce to you Kate Clifford Larson, who is a historian, and she's written about Rosemary Kennedy, the hidden sister, and it's a fascinating story, but she's done other things as well. So let me introduce Kate to you all now. Kate, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Marilyn. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. And for all of you listening if you would like to take part in our chat, you're more than welcome to. There's a live chat. You can ask questions, comment, whatever. At 911, uh, excuse me, go into the, right now under the video, you can put your name and be there. And if you want to call in anytime during the show, and I will remind you, 919-518-9773. And you can always come in on Skype Voice, and that would be at computers, that's plural, number 2K Voice, throughout the show, anytime you like. So, Kate, tell us about you. Well, I live here in Massachusetts, right outside of Boston, and I'm a historian who specializes in writing about women and their lives and how they help shape our nation and who we are as a people. Um, I don't think I normally have to explain that most of the history that we grow up learning is centered on uh, mostly white men, and um, I just feel this need to explore the rest of the story, and I am drawn to stories of women, and uh, their stories are amazing, and we would not be the nation we are today without them, of course. So um, it's my passion. Mm -hmm. And I started um, thinking about writing about women, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and I was working for an investment bank at the time I had my MBA, and I just had this passion for history and going to meetings and um, being asked oftentimes to take the notes, even though I might be the expert in the room, was just starting to wear on me. And I thought, you know, do I want to do this when I'm 60 years old? And since I'd always had this passion for history, I decided to go back and get my master's degree in um, women's history. And then I went on to get my PhD in history at the University of New Hampshire. And since that time, I've just been focusing on researching and writing about the lives of women in our American past. So just give us a snapshot of some of the women that you have had the privilege of getting to know. Um, well, Harriet Tubman is, uh, first and foremost, the most important woman I think that I've um, researched and, and who I've fallen in love with. Um, she inspired me back in the 1990s. She's actually why I went on to get my PhD. I had learned that no one had um, seriously researched her life or written a biography of her since the 1940s. And I thought that was incredibly strange and complicated. And it turned out it was very complicated to research her life because she could not read or write. Um, but I, I unearthed a tremendous amount of information about her that was buried in libraries and archives uh, up and down the East Coast and even in California. And I published a biography of her in 2004. And um, I research her life every single day today. I do a lot of consulting work for the National Park Service, Maryland State Park, the Harriet Tubman Home in Auburn, 
um, tourism offices that are involved in trying to celebrate Tubman's life and and uh, bring visitors to the places where she lived and worked and um, so it's been a very active part of my life for 20 years and um, and of course now she's going to be on the $20 bill in 2020 which is extraordinary and fantastic and I, I, I still can't believe it every time the words come out of my mouth that she's going to grace our currency so tell us just to tell us some for those people who may not know anything about her. Just who is she? Harriet Tubman um, became famous because she is noted as one of the most successful underground railroad agents of all time. She was born enslaved on the eastern shore of Maryland. She escaped when she was 27 years old. And uh, even though she had her own freedom when she made it to Philadelphia, that freedom um, was hollow because everyone she loved was still in slavery in Maryland. So she was determined to rescue them. So she returned, you know, a dozen times to the Eastern Shore to bring away her, her family members and close friends. And she became famous because of that. And then she went on to fight in the Civil War as a soldier and a spy. And then after the Civil War, she uh, worked tirelessly for the right for women to vote. And unfortunately, she died in 1913, seven years before women were able to vote. So, um, and her legacy lives on, her, just the, her inspiration to so many generations of, of all Americans and even people abroad has just grown exponentially since the day she died. And, um, and actually, when she died in 1913, the New York Times noted that she was one of 250 most important people to have died that year in the whole world. Her name was there among kings and queens and literary giants and, you know, scions of industry. And there was Harriet Tubman, too. And so today to see her recognized um, as an important American and important enough to put on the $20 bill is, is just, uh, just incredible and a testament to the legacy that she's left us. So, I, and I want to thank you because I'm sure that your work had a lot to do with um, shining a, a re-shining a light, maybe. Well, I hope at least a little bit, anyway. Yeah. So, what what was it about her that you, I think you said that because of uh, of her, you you decided to go back and get your was was it your PhD because of that's right. What, what that's was right. it about her? Um, I you know it just hit me, and that's how I end up deciding on which women to write about. They, there's just something about them that hits me in my heart and my head, and I just want to hear their voice, and I want to give them voice. So that's what happened. And when I read her story, it, was just, it just seemed so remarkable to me that she was able to accomplish so much. She was also physically disabled, and to still accomplish all those rescue missions and to fight in the Civil War, as a disabled person, it's just inspiring. And given the obstacles that she faced, that she overcame or worked her way around, um, I just thought, you know, we need to know more about this woman. And actually, her her real story is far better and greater than the stories that we all grew up with in children's books and, mm -hmm. you know, mythological tales about her. Mm -hmm. She really was that remarkable. And was there anything... Um, that you learned about her that was shocking to you? Um, well, she was quite militant. Um, you know, a lot of those children's books and uh, that were written about her, she just seems to be this simple, kind-hearted character. But she was very militant and very strong-willed, uh, and not in a way that um, is you know, that we're comfortable with in a way that it was very confrontational. And um, I found that really interesting. And also she had an amazing dry sense of humor. And people were captivated, captivated by her when they met her. They just, they could, in fact, many of them couldn't understand why they were so drawn to her. She had this magnetic personality and... Um, it's one of those things, gee, I wish I could meet her for five minutes just to feel that personality that other people were so drawn to that they couldn't explain themselves. Hmm. And then Chris is on our chat, and she was curious if uh, Harriet ever married or had children. 
around. She she met Harriet Tubman married twice. The first time was when she was enslaved and she married a free man. His name was John Tubman and he had been born free of free parents. A lot of people don't know that slavery, particularly in the upper south, um, was was uh, had changed a lot in the upper south by the time Harriet was born and became uh, an adult. In the area where she lived, over half the uh, African-American population was free, and the rest was enslaved. Um, and then he, when she fled, he didn't want to leave his free life, um, and so she ran away, and they separated. He married another woman, a free woman, and had children with her. Tubman married again uh, after the Civil War. She had met a, a young Civil War soldier who was 22 years younger than she was, and they fell in love and got married in Auburn, New York, where she lived the last 50 years of her life. Mm. Um, they did not have children together. They adopted a baby in 1874 and raised her as their own. Her name was Gertie, and she died as a young woman. So there are no descendants. Oh, goodness, I'm getting chills. Mm. <laughs> not, not just had like this sound, didn't you? Yeah. Oh my, beautiful. So now, Take us to, to your next story. Uh, the next book that I wrote about was, um, the woman that I wrote about was uh, Mary Surratt, who was involved in the plot to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. Um, and that project, I, I delved deeply into the archives. There was a lot of information that had been uncovered by other historians. I have to give a shout out to many of them that did a lot of this work, even though they were researching other parts of the assassination. It was their work ahead of time that helped me do my work on Mary Surratt. And when I wrote the book, a lot of people felt that Mary was innocent and that she had been hanged uh, for the crime um, inappropriately or illegally, that she should not have been hanged. But my research showed that she actually was guilty. She was part of the plot. She did help John Wilkes Booth and his co-conspirators. And she was hanged by the federal government for it, the first woman to be hanged by the federal government. So I have a question to ask you. So when you're, and, and I'm, I know I have a lot of questions. So when you're preparing to um, to do the research, and you 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 know that somebody's already been, um, there's already history about that particular person. What then makes it uh, interesting for you to keep on going? What what do you think is not being said or yeah yeah. Um. So uh, I just want to clarify that um, other historians had unearthed a lot of information about Mary Surratt, um, but they had chosen not to write about her. They wrote about other people instead. I would never step on the toes of another historian who was trying to write a biography or, or work on another woman. Um, but I, I started off doing the research thinking that Mary was innocent and that I would determine once and for all that she was innocent. But it was only about two months into my work that I realized that she was guilty. So by, by then I was vested into the project and I moved ahead with it. It was a very hard project to do because I did not like her. As, the as time went on, more research and writing, I, I did not like her as a woman and as a, a person. I didn't like her ideology and certainly I did not like the crime that she committed. I didn't, I, you know, it just is, was very upsetting to me. But she was not a very nice person. Mm -hmm. So that project was, that took a few years. Um, and then I was done with that, fortunately. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, but while I was writing that, uh, Rosemary Kennedy died in 2005. She passed away in January. And I read Rosemary's bio, um, bib, um, obituary in the Boston Globe. And when I read the obituary, it hit me, uh, just like Harriet Tubman had hit me. And um, I just felt it like in my heart and my soul that I needed to know more about Rosemary. And um, I had no idea if I could find anything related to her, but I just felt that I needed to try to do that. So in 2008, I was done with Mary Surratt and I moved on to Rosemary. And I was lucky that there were materials at the JFK library um, that uh, were available for me to use to give her her voice, a voice that had been silenced for a long time. So, um, if you will, just give a, you know, a snapshot into her life because it's just, it's fascinating. Um, she was uh, the third child of Joe and Rose Kennedy. She was their first daughter. 
Um, they had two little, the Kennedys had two little boys, Joe Jr. and Jack, who would go on to become our president. Um, and Rosemary was a sweet, adorable little baby girl. Um, but as soon as uh, she became a toddler, it was obvious to the parents there was something um, that wasn't quite right about Rosemary. She was delayed in all of the milestones that most infants and toddlers reach at specific dates. And she was way outside the range of those dates when she could have been, you know, sitting up, crawling, walking, talking, feeding herself, things like that. And um, I believe that it was partly because of trauma during birth. And we can talk about that later if you like. Sure. But um, as everyone knows, the Kennedys had many, many children. And as more and more children were born, uh, Rosemary, it became more and more obvious that Rosemary was delayed in her intellectual and physical abilities. But the Kennedys being a big, um, ambitious family, they just swept her up with them. And Rosemary carried on and did as well as she could. Um, so she, it was a very inclusive family and Rosemary was included in everything and they really pushed her very hard, but that became more and more difficult as she aged and her siblings bypassed her in school. And then, um, she just never could achieve the goals that her parents and her teachers set for her. And it, it set her on a path where she became frustrated and depressed and angry often and very difficult to manage. It was a difficult childhood for Rosemary. And you said physical. So what was it? I I thought it was it was psychological, emotional, intellectual. What was the physical disability? So she was very um, uncoordinated. Okay. She had poor muscle tone, uh -huh. and um, and so I think she also suffered from dyslexia as well. She couldn't tell the difference between right and left. Um, she couldn't steer a sailboat. You know, all the Kennedys could sail at very young ages. Um, she had difficulty playing sports. Um, it, it, things were very difficult for her to grasp or steer a sled on a snow hill or dance. She had very a lot of difficult difficulty with dancing and understanding the steps and which foot to put first. Um, it, w it was very, very difficult for her, and, and she suffered because of her poor muscle tone. Um, she needed orthopedic shoes, but they didn't have things like that back then, so she suffered a lot physically sometimes. Hmm. And when, what and the cover that you chose? I mean, she's stunning. I know. She's so beautiful. I, I'll show you. Yes, right show everyone. I mean, it's stunning. <laughs> now, how old is she there? She's 20 years old, and that photograph was taken uh, when the family moved to Europe, to England, because Joe Kennedy had been appointed the ambassador to Great Britain, and uh, Rosemary and Eunice and a couple of the other children toured uh, Ireland in the summer of 1938, and uh, photographers followed them everywhere, and they loved taking pictures of Rosemary. She was so beautiful, and she looks just, you know, stunning. Um, and they, the Kennedys were very good at kind of keeping her quiet so she didn't talk too much in front of the press. Um, so she had, so it was even more alluring because she didn't talk much in front of the press. So they wanted to take more pictures of her. She was really, she was definitely the most beautiful of the Kennedys, really very, very beautiful. And so, uh, so now talk about the lobotomy. Uh, the lobotomy is such a tragic decision that, that Joe Kennedy made. Um, throughout her teenage and young adult years, Rosemary was exhibiting some mental health issues. What they were, I can't determine, but she, was, she would fly into incredible rages. She would hit people. She would act out in frustration and anger, but it was really getting, the older she got, the worse those tantrums and, and rages were. Um, so they were back in the United States in 1941 and they had installed Rosemary in an, yet another convent school where they were trying to control her. And at this point, she's 23 years old. She wants her freedom. She wants to go out and party and be like her, uh, brothers and her younger sisters who are now maturing and out socially. And so she had been escaping from the convent 
school where she was and going out at night and the nuns would find her on the street, you know, having had something to drink and she was would have leaves on her and clearly doing something that wasn't good. And Joe, I'm sure, was afraid of some sort of scandal. Mm-hmm. At that very same time, there were these um, men in Washington, D.C., Dr. James Watts and Dr. Walter Freeman, who were experimenting with lobotomies at George Washington University Hospital and they were um, offering this surgery and touting it as a cure for people like Rosemary and um, and saying that this was a way to make them happy again and uh, release the angers and fears that they lived with. And they guaranteed that this surgery would um, help people like Rosemary live independent lives. And in fact, their research and I went through their research when I was doing my work for this book, their research was showing the exact opposite, that the surgery was not helping people become independent. And in fact, um, 16% of their patients died. Another 30% became disabled and couldn't do anything. And then the rest really need to be taken care of. They couldn't live by themselves. So, um, but Joe decided to take the risk and... um, forced Rosemary to have a lobotomy and the surgery went terribly wrong and she became completely disabled. She could not walk or talk. She couldn't feed herself. She was incontinent. She was a, you know, she just had to have everything taken care of for her. And, um, that ended her, her, her hopes for independent life and certainly, uh, any hopes for, any type of life after that other than institutionalized life. So, I mean, there's so much more to, to, to talk about, but each time, and I know you've shared this story so many times, how do you feel each time you share it? Um, I have mixed emotions about it. I, of course, I'm very angry that um, Joe did this to Rosemary. Mm-hmm. I'm angry because the Kennedys had options and they chose the most drastic option available to them and that was to lobotomize her. Um, Their daughter, Kick, had been asked by Rose to research lobotomies before they had it done, and Kick said, don't do this, this isn't good, you know, this isn't something we should have done to Rosie, that's what they called her, and, um, but Joe went ahead anyway. And they had such wealth, I mean, they could have hired, um, you know, staff to live with her anywhere and give her a life but they chose to do this. And I think Joe looked at Rosemary as a problem and the lobotomy took care of the problem. On the other hand, I appreciate the strain and the stress and the fear and anxiety that the Rose and Joe lived with when it came to Rosemary. This young woman um, who was intellectually disabled, she probably had about the intellectual capacity of maybe an eight-year-old. And so she couldn't really live on her own Um, and she was very attractive. Men were very attractive to her. She wanted to socialize. She liked men. So I think there were lots of fears and anxieties that something would happen and she would be compromised, and that would not be good for the family. A lot of it was about how the family would look and what would happen to the family if she got into trouble. But Now, he kept it a secret. I I thought I read that he actually kept it a secret, and they didn't even know that he had done that. So according to my research, that is not entirely true. Um, The others knew, uh, well, Rose knew that he was considering lobotomy. Kick knew that he was considering a lobotomy. The final decision to do it, I do think, was Joe's and Joe's alone. Um, But Rose at some point said she had no idea. Uh, That's not true. She absolutely did know. And then Joe and Jack and Kick did know that Rosemary was sent to a psychiatric hospital called Craig House in Beacon, New York, after the surgery, because there are several letters where um, Joe explains to them that she's getting better every day and she's swimming in the pool, which isn't really true. She couldn't be swimming in the pool because she was so debilitated after the surgery. But they were aware that she was someplace in in a hospital, and I think Kick must have known that the lobotomy had occurred. But the other siblings had no idea where Rosemary was. And Eunice later said in an interview, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, 
that it was 10 years before she knew where Rosemary was. That seems remarkable to me. And Teddy wrote in his, uh, Ted Kennedy, our former senator from Massachusetts, said that in his own memoir, he was nine years old when this happened to Rosemary. No one told him what happened to her or where she went. And he learned at an early age not to ask because, and he also knew that he had to behave or he might disappear too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. What a story. Yeah, it's quite a story. I mean, you know, and as you said, I mean, they could have afforded to have in-home education. I mean, mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And I, I'm not a doctor, but when I looked at, when I listened to you and, you know, uh, some of what you read, and I'm sitting back and I'm just making this up and making that up, and I'm thinking, well, maybe in today's standards she would have been considered autistic or maybe, you know, polar or something. I don't know. And I'm like, oh, my God, what? Right. Oh, it's amazing. Right. And at the time, there were no patient protection laws. There were no protocols for research. So the doctors could do what they wanted. And women, in particular, suffered under that type of system most acutely. Most of the lobotomies were performed on women, even though the majority of psychiatric patients at the time were men. It was women who had the disproportionate uh, number of lobotomies. Mm -hmm. And that's really very frightening. So Rosemary had no say. She, no one protected her. No one was there to advocate for her. And um, so while she was clearly intellectually disabled, I show in my book um, some of the letters that she wrote and um, as an adult, and they're very juvenile in their content, their sentence structure, their grammar, um, punctuation. Um, but clearly she also suffered from mental health issues, and what that was, I'm not really sure. But let's say that she was bipolar. There, there was no medication at the right. time to treat that. Uh, that sort of, um, those drugs were not available until the 1950s and 1960s. So the Kennedys were sort of at a loss as to what to do. But I think hiring staff to live with her and give her a full life mm -hmm. would have been ideal, and they could afford it to do it. Sure. And, of course, you know, today, in hindsight, that's what, you know, somebody in that position would do. Right. But, you know, like you said, I mean, they didn't, they, they didn't have the wherewithal to even understand any of this. I mean... I look at women like that, and I, you know, again, I'm. This is just my opinion. Spirited, you know, creative, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. Um, and maybe you know because of how they they were with her, and how they uh, were scared of whatever you know what was right. going on. They didn't educate her and socialize her as much as. You know, some of the other children were social, socialized, so getting past an eight, eight years old, you know, socialized, you know, it's kind of difficult. But she, you know, um, when I read some of what you wrote, I'm like, oh, she was just spirited. Uh, this is true. This is true. And I, I like to think, well, not like to think, but I, I have the sense that if this was one of Joe's sons, he never would have done the surgery. It wouldn't have happened. I think when it came to the women in the family, while he loved his daughters, they were second-class citizens to his sons. And mm -hmm. so the care that he might have put and the thought he would have put into what to do with a 23-year-old, uh, if it had been one of his boys, it would have been different than what he decided for Rosemary. And again, I, I understand their struggles, and that was a difficult decision, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he did not expect that she would be completely disabled mm -hmm. as a result of the surgery. But it was because he was worried about his boys' careers that he didn't want a scandal. He didn't want Rosemary, you know, caught in a compromising situation with a young man or who knows what. And they didn't want to be embarrassed by her, which is a theme throughout her life. They don't want to be embarrassed by her. So it's you it's know, just a tragic. It tragic is tragic. Story. And the interesting thing is it's, you know, it's the Kennedys and they have been laced with all kinds of things going on in that family mm, I know all kinds I, of scandal it's right. so it's kind of bizarre in a way it is bizarre and the tragedy is I think we all focus on the scandal so much because the family or at least Rose and Joe elevated the family to such a status where they were 
you know, they wanted the public to believe they were so perfect. And so they had a long way to fall because Joe and Rose elevated them so high and that did not serve them well sometimes. Right. And we have somebody on our chat. Uh, let's see. Susiani wants to know what year was the uh, lobotomy? It was in November of 1941. Okay. And the two doctors had only performed, I estimate, about the time that Rosemary had her lobotomy, they had done maybe 80 or so lobotomies. By the end of the year, they had performed 100. So um, that's not many. And the American Medical Association at the time had said, had warned against it, had recommended that the surgery not be performed on live patients, that more research needed to be done. Mm -hmm. But no one was there to stop them. There were no laws to stop them from doing that. It almost seems to me as an act of desperation. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Like mm -hmm. you just feel like you have absolutely no choice. You are right. just frantic beyond measure and you are just desperate for anything. Right. And in the Kennedy Library there are many letters around this time period that are still sealed and um, certainly Rosemary's medical records are sealed. Um, that's because of our HIPAA laws that were passed in the early 2000s. Um, but there are letters from teachers and caregivers that have been either blacked out or they have been they're under um, sort of lock and key. They're sealed. So we don't really know what was happening. It would be helpful to know that maybe we would understand more about why Rose and Joe decided to have this surgery performed. But there's a big gap in the record because those letters are, are held back from historians from looking at them. So actually, how much time did it take you from beginning to end to write this book? Um, I started in 2008 and I finished in 2014, mm -hmm. but I had to take a couple years off because my son, and I talk about this in the book, um, was diagnosed with schizophrenia and it took all our energy and resources to find um, care and treatment for him and it was a, it was a tough couple of years. Mm -hmm. So um, I interrupted the project at that time and then got back into it like in 2012 which actually worked in my favor because the Kennedy Library, who um, they store the Kennedy family papers, their private family papers, and the deed of gift has given a timeline to when certain portions of the papers can be opened to the public. And in those two years, more papers were opened. So I was able to see more things about Rosemary, more letters that she wrote herself as a, a child and young woman, and um, just more context for the story. So um, while it was a tough couple of years for us, it was um, it benefited the book in the long run. And Chris is asking, which is a great question. So who would decide to release those letters? Maybe not the medical re uh, records, but the letters from the teachers, etc. Who makes that determination? Um, the 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 papers are held by the Joseph P. Kennedy Foundation, and they have a board, and the board consists of. Um, I think family members and others, and they make the decision. So, how does the how do how do the Kennedys feel about you writing this book? Um, so, I think some of them have not been happy about it. Actually, and well, I know some of them have not been happy about it, and others I think are okay with it. Um, certainly, uh, Timothy and Anthony Shriver, I interviewed both of them, and they were very generous in their, their comments and their answers to my questions. Anthony um, sent me several photographs, personal family photographs of Rosemary, and um, so I put a couple of them in the book. He was incredibly generous um, to me. And they both said to me that um, they didn't know what happened to Rosemary, and they would like to know. And in the meantime, Timothy, before my book came out, Timothy published a book about his life, and um, he has a section in his book about uh, Rosemary, his aunt. And he talks about asking his uncle, Ted Kennedy, and his mother, Eunice Shriver, about Rosemary, what happened to her. And both of them said the same thing, that they didn't know when it happened, and she just disappeared, and no one told to them or explained to them what had happened. And, of course, the younger generation, I think, can't believe that those, you know, siblings just accepted no explanation and moved on with their lives. But I think Joe and Rose were such powerful parental figures 
that those children just did what they were told and learned not to ask, just like Teddy said, we learn not to ask. And, and you know, just as we can't walk in somebody else's shoes, we can only imagine, as, as, as Kate was speaking about Joe and Rose and how not knowing what to do, not having the resources and certainly the, med the, um, the medical community didn't have the resources that we have today, psychiatric care. So they did whatever they, I don't agree with it by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm looking at it from where I sit today. Had I right. been back there then, maybe I would be looking at it differently. And the same with what they told their children or what they didn't tell their children. Maybe in their mind, they're thinking they're keeping everybody safe and right. everybody taken care of and they're protecting Rosemary and I can only make it up. Right, right, uh, right. You know, but I think just based on what I kind of know about people, I think you did like a great thing. Because I think if somebody really wants to take a look in the mirror, they might say thank you. Because you, you know, opened up something that, you know, was questionable and giving them permission to, you know. Right. The one thing that did trouble me about this, even though I go back and forth about, you know, I, I understand the difficulties that Rose and Joe went through. What went after the surgery, Rose didn't see her daughter for 20 years. Yeah, I don't know how a mother could do that. I can't I, imagine. I cannot imagine. Can't imagine. And Joe, yeah, and Joe may have seen her once or twice, maybe in the first few months after the surgery, but he never saw her again after that either. So I, 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 that's where I can't reconcile their behavior. I just, there's no excuse for that. I don't care. <laughs> They yeah. may have made a mistake with a lobotomy, right. but when it came to afterwards, they mm. hid her away and they stayed away. And Rosemary didn't lose her mind completely. She knew who she was. Mm. She knew that she had parents. She had siblings. She didn't see anybody for years and years and years. She was angry and furious at her mother when she mm. finally saw her in 1962. And over-medicated, over right? Didn't you say? And she had over-medicated, that's right. Which, that's you right. Know, you know, I mean, and we don't know. We only know what we know, and thank God you're you're here and giving us. The, and I, you know, when I listen to, I know what you found. You did the best you could find. You dug. You 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 connected. You did the best that you could with whatever you could find. But we don't know what we don't know. Maybe Rose did go and see her, and it just wasn't documented. I mean, anything's possible. Well, actually, when it comes to that, we know oh, that we do it, know. Okay. Yeah, she didn't go. She didn't go. Right, she did not go. No. We know that Jack went in 1958 uh, secretly, uh, which is not documented, but eyewitnesses gave testimony that okay. he went in 1958 to see her. And as far as we know, he was the first family member to see her. Um, the close uh, Kennedy friends and associates and business partner, uh, Eddie Moore and his wife, Mary Moore, they did see Rosemary. They took care of her all those years when she was in Craig House in New York. And then when she was transferred to St. Coletta's School in Jefferson, Wisconsin, um, they maintained contact with Rosemary. They would go out and visit with her to make sure she was being taken care of well. Um, but the family did not go. Mm. Wow. It's, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And I guess <clears throat> one of the questions I have for you is now that you, I mean, and there's more, right? We can talk about the Special Olympics. Because right. without that, I mean, come on, right? Without her, right? Right. right? So just talk a little bit about that, too, if you will. So I, the, the siblings um, were very much affected by Rosemary as their sister, both before the lobotomy and after. Before, they were very protective of her. They worried about her just their, like their parents did. They loved her. Um, and then after the lobotomy, when she disappeared, they felt her, her uh, law, their, the loss keenly. And I think Eunice felt it more than anybody did. She was the closest to Rosemary. She was nearly her constant companion when they were on vacation or they went to Europe and things like that. So Eunice, I think, had a very difficult time right after the lobotomy. She wasn't told what happened to Rosemary, but she knew that her sister was missing, and she struggled through school. She became very ill, and I think it transformed 
Eunice in particular, but her brothers and everyone else as well. So Eunice would go on to champion the cause of people with disabilities. And she, of course, started the Special Olympics, which has changed the world for people with disabilities and their families and brought awareness to the, the crises for families um, and people with disabilities. And Jack, of course, um, at Eunice's urging and under his own volition, started um, a presidential commission to study uh, resources and um, science related to intellectual disabilities. And then he signed legislation that funded uh, research centers, community resource centers, hospitals um, to help uh, people with disabilities and their families. And he signed a lot of that legislation just before he was assassinated. And then, of course, Ted Kennedy, who deeply missed his older sister, whom he loved deeply, um, he went on to pass or um, uh, sponsor hundreds of pieces of legislation linked to people with disabilities. And he was a co-sponsor of the Americans with Disabilities Act as well. Mm -hmm. So the Kennedy family has um, been mobilized and activated because of what happened to Rosemary. And that's her legacy because we are a far better nation today because of Rosemary and what um, her siblings were able to do for us. I did, I th uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but did I see an interview with someone with Oprah, one of the family oh, members? Tim Timothy Shriver, that yes, was, okay. he's the new president of the Special okay. Olympics, that's right. And so yeah. he spoke about how she how they would see her and she would come uh, to tennis matches or whatever later on. Right, Is right. right? So, and finally, when Eunice um, found out where Rosemary was and started visiting her, and all of her children grew up knowing Rosemary very well, perhaps better than any of the other younger generations of all the other siblings, mm -hmm. um, they spent much more time with Rosemary because Eunice would bring her to their home in Chicago. Um, she, the kids would go and visit her at St. Coletta's. Anthony would go as a teenager. He would get his way down to St. Coletta's and stay with her. And he would stay in the little cottage that Joe Kennedy had built for Rosemary. And um, they loved her deeply. They were, they were deeply shaped by her as well. And they've gone on to do amazing things. So Timothy with the Special Olympics. Anthony um, started Best Buddies, which pairs college students with intellectually disabled uh, young people. Um, many, many different um, organizations are uh, have been sponsored by or started by younger Kennedys, even today. That's how you right a wrong. And, it, and, and, and it's wonderful to know this side is, I'm, I'm, I'm almost in tears. It's wonderful to know this side too, because, you know, again, we may, I make up, you know, this thing about the Kennedys and all that kind of stuff, but Look, look at this. This is truly love. Right. This is righting a wrong. So, right. so based on what you know historically, not just from Rosemary, but any of the women that you have um, read, researched, written about to today, what would you what would you say about the women from his historically to today, or today historically? What would you say about women in general? So the <laughs> women just do, and they carry on, and they make things happen. And historically, it's often behind the scenes because they were not given a public platform. They weren't given access to the public platform or to a corporate platform, and women did the work anyway. And um, it's, it's just stunning to go back in history and look at the contributions of women that have not been acknowledged all these years. And uh, uh, it, it's very troubling to me, and um, I mean, so here we are in 2016, and we finally have a uh, female presidential candidate that's campaigning hard. I mean, I know there were three other women who who campaigned for the presidency, one in the 1870s, um, Margaret Chase Smith in the 1960s um, put her hat in the ring, and, um, and Shirley Chisholm in the 1970s, but it wasn't the same thing to actually have now as a nominated candidate from a party to be a woman. Uh, it's just, it's incredible it's taken this long, really incredible. Mm -hmm. And um, so. And, and we get to see it. And we, we get to, to be, see it. Yep, yeah, we get to be a part of it, we get to see it and right. learn from it all. 
Right. So what would you say to women today? I would say to women, um, just be mindful of who came before you and how hard they had to work for it and to keep working to honor all of them mm. and not to take for granted what we may have today because it isn't complete <laughs> and mm. certainly it's not complete mm -hmm. and we need to keep struggling and demanding and, um, and be heroes to future generations just like women before us. Beautiful. So Chris is asking a great question, which I think is, you know, a good question for now. So she said, she's curious to know, besides um, Harriet Tubman, what women, living or dead, would you most like to meet yourself? Oh, my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> and who would we, and I'm curious, because then I'd want to know from you, because you're, like a, 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 you're like a role model, a mentor, like, a bridge into this and I'm thinking okay whoever you say I'm gonna to want to know get to know them too <laughs> so um, you know people like Abigail Adams I would love to have met um, I would love to have met uh, Frederick Douglass's wife Anna Murray Douglas she was the woman behind the man for sure um, oh gosh I I would like to I would like to meet Mary Lincoln uh, Abraham Lincoln's wife um, Ida B. Wells Barnett, who who campaigned for decades uh, against lynching. Um, uh, Alice Paul, who was um, instrumental in pushing forward um, the vote for American women. You know, I'd love to meet Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, but Alice Paul was, she was an amazing kind of militant character that just was not going to wait any longer. It had been long enough. Um, I'd love to meet Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. Oh, there are so many. I know there's I'm going to so forget many. some. <laughs> so many. Oh, but there's so, so many. many. So in your process, do you, are you just a ferocious reader? And then one day, and, and I am, I am positive after knowing this book and watching you in action a couple of times, I am positive that Kate is one of those people who definitely uh, comes from the heart. There's no question to me. And so in your process, then you're reading about all these women, what is it that makes something stand out, someone stand out to you that says, I have to do more? <sighs> I don't, I have to be honest, I don't know what it okay. is that sparks it. It just mm -hmm. happens. And if it doesn't happen, I move on. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've been lucky so far that I found these amazing women, Mary Surratt accepted. Mm -hmm. um, she was amazing in her own awful way. Um, I just, there's just something about them for me. And other people who might do the same process might be attracted to a different type of woman or subject. Mm -hmm. But um, there's just, I, I can't, I have to be able to see that I can give that person a voice. That's probably the big part okay. of it. Okay. Is there a way that I can give that person a voice? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a woman who uh, stood for, maybe stood for something that you, you know, or did something or... Or is a it's a vehicle, vehicle. to telling a story like with Rosemary. Her story needed to be told, and it 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 shows the family in a different light yes. certainly, and yes. it talks about uh, the past in this country, how the medical establishment treated women, and people with mental health issues and disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, these are important stories that we need to know and to understand. Um, things are clearly much better today, but we have a long way to go. And so we need to, to pay attention to this process and to fight for it. Yeah, there's so much that uh, surrounding Rose, Rosemary Kennedy, so much, you mm -hmm. know, between the family and all and everything. I mean, it's just an amazing, it's more than just a story. It opens the door to so, to so much. Right. Even right. the fact that some of this some of this information is is locked up is also interesting. That I think be, this is the gonna. I think something. I, I don't know. I get the feeling that this will be something that. And because you're such a good messenger of it, you're such you're holding it so beautifully. 
and you have exp explored it and explained it in such a fabulous way that it's almost like it's given the, it's I would think and maybe I'm just a, an optimist but it gives them a safe a safe time right to to, to let release go. some of those yeah, papers right. yeah right yeah and I think that by holding back it continues to hide rosemary and i i'm sure some of the things in those letters they're holding back are not attractive in a in a certain light um but they can be revealed with care yes. and understanding and so that people don't fill in the blanks with terrible stories or inaccurate stories and say you know terrible terrible things right. to clear the air and let it be known so um, it can be explored and understood and and also to celebrate this family that did move on and create this uh, new world for all of us because of Rosemary. Absolutely. And because, you know, when you, you're holding back, you think, OK, what are they holding back? I think it's important right. to let it go. Right. Yeah. Right. So right. Um, it's a, it would be a wonderful time for you to share your books, where, where our audience can get anything you want to share of this is a great moment for bodacious marketing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you can get all the books on Amazon, of course, or your local bookseller. I, I, I love independent booksellers. Please go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it. Um, but certainly if you're used to Amazon, you can order them through Amazon. And, um, and I just want to, you know, give a shout out to to Harriet Tubman, and I think the timing of her coming on the twenty dollar bill is exciting and really important, and it represents the diversity here in this country that we need to celebrate and honor and respect, um, and no better person than Harriet Tubman. I, I just I think it's great. So I hope everybody will learn about her, and. Um, and engage with her story. And for those of you who love to travel or live on the East Coast, there's a new museum opening up dedicated to Tubman's life uh, in Dorchester County, Maryland. It will open in March of 2017. And you can go there and learn all about her and drive the roads where you can learn about the sites of her life and her Underground Railroad missions and come to appreciate why she will be on our $20 bill. Yeah, I, you know, we. I, for one, have take I guess, um, have not paid as close attention to uh, to, to our history as mm. much. I'm sitting here now and I'm thinking, oh my God, how fascinating! And I love biographies, and I love autobiographies, but I love biographies. I love knowing about people, and I've taken so much of this for granted. Mm. Right. I, you know, and I and I and I and I so honor you for bringing this up. And I, I said, let's just know. I mean, if we can't, I mean, knowing where we come from makes it a lot easier. Absolutely. You know, to, to deal with where we are and where and 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 where we, I mean, and the sky's the limit of where we can go. Right. And for those of you um, who have the interest too, the Kennedy Library in Boston is a magnificent library. They're, the staff there is incredible. They are just fabulous. Um, and the new uh, Edward M. Kennedy um, Museum is right next door where you can learn about how the Senate works. And then uh, the childhood home is in Brookline, Massachusetts. And they're all just fantastic places to go to learn about um, President Jack Kennedy and the accomplishments that he achieved. Um, it's, I encourage you to all do that. And the new, to, soon to be opened, uh, National Museum of African American History and Culture on the Mall in Washington, D.C. Um, it is our American history, and it's everybody should go there mm -hmm. and, and see and learn and hear this remarkable history. I mean, I know we're talking about women, but when I went to see um, with Jefferson, I mean Jefferson. Oh, Monticello. Monticello. I mean, I could have just stayed there and and just stared at the at the bed. I mean, yeah. I was fascinating, fascinated by so all of it. I w it was just it came so alive for me. Right. It's right. it's terrific. So I want to give anybody out there a chance. We have just another few moments. If you have a comment, um, anything you would like to ask Kate, please feel free to do that. 
you can call us at 919-518-9773 or you can uh, come into the chat and ask us any questions you want in there and you just put your name in the window or certainly uh, computers 2k voice love to have you come in on Skype so I, I know that you've you've written articles and things besides these books any of the articles that you've written about any of the women already that you would want to leave us with um, I think uh, well, I wrote a couple of articles. I know we've been talking about Rosemary Kennedy, but two about um, Harriet Tubman recently uh, in the Washington Post and the New York Daily News. Um, they're both about Tubman. Uh, well, one is about Tubman uh, on the $20 bill because there's controversy about it. So I wrote it with a colleague of mine, Janelle Hobson, about the controversy and and then um, the one in the Washington Post is about the myths that we all grew up with about Harriet Tubman and uh, the truth behind her story. And that's in the Post. So those were both this spring. And you then, can Google then, my name and, and um, it, they'll come up. And so if, if whoever, anyone in our audience wants to follow you personally and read your work or see what you're up to, what would, where would they go? Um, well, you can go to my website, um, kateclifford.larson.com. It's all one word. And um, there's information about Rosemary. There's a lot of information about uh, my book on Rosemary and um, on Harriet Tubman and where you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook. So you can do it that way. Perfect. So in closing, is there anything you would, I mean, we've, we've, we've certainly shared a lot. Is there anything that that we left out about Rosemary or Tubman or anything about women in history? Um, well, I hope that your readers, uh, listeners, and uh, will, uh, you know, fall in love with Rosemary like I did if they read the book and come to appreciate her struggles. And, um, and also, to, I would like the audience to become advocates for demanding more resources for people and communities uh, struggling with mental illness. This is the next big issue that we have to face as a country. There are far too many people suffering with mental illness that are not getting the resources that they need because they're not available. And um, our prisons have become warehouses for people with mental illness. And families are suffering and they're groaning under the financial and physical and emotional weight of trying to help a family member with mental illness. So all of you, please become advocates so that we can make this a better world with people with uh, mental illness, much like the Kennedys have done for people with physical uh, and intellectual disabilities. Yeah, because it's not an issue that's going away. No, it's not. And every family is, is touched by it in one way or another. Yes. I, 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 I couldn't have ended this show any better. I mean, it, there's so much to be, to understand, so much to learn about. And it doesn't, um, if, even if you think that it's not in your family, well, you're surrounded. And it's your neighborhood and yeah. your neighbors and people that you yeah. love. Yeah. You know, are... I, I taught special ed long, long time ago. And it was probably the worst year of my entire life teaching middle school, special ed behavior disorders. That's tough. It was yeah. very tough. And I didn't have a teacher's deg you know, degree. You know, I had a college degree. And I thought, oh, I could do this. I'm from New York. And you know, whatever, I could do this. And I remember one of the mothers of one of the, 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 one of the boys, because most of the, the, the six kids that were in my class were boys. And she came to me one day and she said, you know, I just need some help. I didn't ask for this. I'm just, I just want to have help for my son, resources for my son. And she said, I don't know, I didn't ask for this. And right. so it becomes everybody's issue because, you know, one person can't do it alone. It's everybody's right. thing. Right. So anyway, I, Kate, you're, you're an angel and whenever you have the inclination to come back if whatever you have to say we want to hear it thank you very much marilyn well it's been a pleasure and for everybody out there i thank you so much for joining us today and each week you know we're gonna we're gonna bring you the best the best so i want to thank you all for being here and enjoying kate with me today 
and I am going to get her book for sure, and I encourage all of you to do the same, and, and just keep following her, because she has so much to teach us. So once again, Kate, thanks so much for being here. And thanks. Yeah. And everybody out there, thank you. You are tuned to the Nissan Communications Network. Our weekly lineup of call-in programs includes Computers 2K Now with Omnon Nissan, My Life, My Will with Gisela DiCarlo, The Tanya Love Show, Help Then with Debbie Brook, Breaking Free with Marilyn Shannon, Triangle Be Well with Howard Jacobson, Lunch and Learn with Rabbi Yisrael Cutler, Lessons of Vietnam with NCVVI members, Current Affairs with Omnon Nissan, and if you tuned in too late, you can always watch each program in its entirety or download an MP3 audio file of it in the archive section on NissanCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, and like us on Facebook. Sponsored by Atomos.com, makers of quality video recorders and converters, CarolinaApparel.com, and DeltaForce.net.